Hi, I'm Angela East and welcome to another edition of the East Meets West podcast. This podcast is proudly focused on Western Australia, the engine room of the Australian economy. From the CEOs, company directors, brokers, entrepreneurs and everyone in between, East Meets West is a deep dive into what makes the greatest state on earth tick. On today's episode of the East Meets West podcast, I'm chatting with David Prentice, Managing Director of Brookside Energy, a Western Australia-based and ASX-listed oil producer with projects in the oil-rich Anadarko Basin in Oklahoma. Brookside is continuing to perform strongly on the oil production front, with third quarter financials showing a cash windfall of $12.9 million and positive operating cash flow of $6.3 million. Notably, Brookside achieved record-free cash flow of $5.2 million, resulting in a substantial 20% increase in cash reserves compared to the second quarter. The company continues to focus on growth and is working to commercialise its nearly 12 million barrel proved and probable reserve, as well as advancing a possible second production centre just 20 miles west of its existing operations. Yet, Brookside appears undervalued with a market cap of just $60 million. David joins me today to discuss the unique position Brookside is in, what investors might be missing in this undervalued stock, and the supply and demand landscape right now. Welcome, David. It's great to have you on the podcast. Hi, Angela. It's nice to be with you. So, David, you've spent the past decade or so in the oil and gas space, but your years of experience in the resources sector spans other commodities as well. Tell us a bit about what attracted you to the oil and gas space in particular. That's a great question. So, the really unique thing I think about about the oil and gas space, and particularly in onshore in the US, is what I kind of describe as scalability. So, Often what you'll see here in Australia is, you know, small companies that would be beavering away uh, looking to make a discovery out in, you know, the far reaches of Western Australia or Northern Northern Territory or wherever, Queensland. And, um, you know, they, they drill a bunch of, you know, they're, they're coming to the market for money to, to for drilling. They, they prove up a, a reserve uh, and, then they, and then, they, then they find themselves in this position where there's a, you know, a billion dollars or, you know, $1.5 billion capex. Uh, hurdle that they have to clear before they can get themselves into production, and so you know one of the really exciting things about the the, the onshore U.S. Uh, oil and gas space is the scalability. You know you can you can start out quite small, um, and you know you can start to generate some cash flow, reinvest that cash flow uh, into into operations, and start to grow a business. But you you know but you've got this ability to scale up. Um, and 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 really cut your cloth to suit the kind of uh, pricing environment that you're in. So, you know, Brookside really was 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 built on the tradition of, uh, you know, a long tradition of of the very best private EMP businesses in the US that have been doing this for many decades. Which is, you know, this concept of taking, uh, you know, a relatively modest amount of capital from investors, demonstrating to them that they can 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 get a return on that on that capital. And then scaling the business up. Subiaco-based Brookside is in a pretty unique position with strong cash flow generated from oil production, no debt, unhedged at a time of increasing prices, and just shy of thirty million in cash. You also recently undertook a share buyback and are mulling further returns to shareholders. Yet the company's market valuation is only around sixty million. What do you think investors are missing here? Look, I think there's two answers to that question. One, one is the oil and gas business is is somewhat complex. So, so some of the Benefits that I just described about the scalability, it, it does come with some c- complexity. So we don't have that clear uh, vision that that perhaps a resources business might have to say, well, if we find a you know X million tons of of nickel in the ground and we 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 do our PFS and then we do our 
our feasibility study, and then we make our, our final investment decision, and then this is what the capex is, and then this is what the returns look like over time. So, so it's very difficult for us to map that out for for our investors. So that's kind of one of the challenges. So it's really trying to articulate uh, the plan, you know, and and what the future looks like, and and at the same time explaining to shareholders that you know it's important for us to maintain maximum flexibility in our decision making, so that we're always going to deliver the best returns we can for shareholders. So that's one challenge. Uh, the other challenge is more of a macro challenge, which is, you know, the sector is just uh, unloved and has been for a decade. This is not a Brookside thing. This is a uh, this is a, a sector-wide uh, uh, phenomenon where you're seeing, you know, capital just move out of the out of the sector. I mean, interestingly, if you look at the S and P 500 index, for example, you know, the energy sector makes up 4.5 percent of the value of that sector is is in the energy sector. Seventy odd percent is in things like information technology. Healthcare, finance, and consumer discretionary. So, you know that that's where the capital's going, um, and that's where uh, you know where investors' attention is going. That will change with time, but um, that's it's frustrating at the moment. Talk to us a bit about onshore versus offshore. Why is onshore your preference, and and would you consider offshore opportunities? Well, look, I think for for us, it's really about the rate of return. You know, so. This concept that we can find assets that deliver positive rate of return at very low oil prices, so you know forty dollars a barrel uh, and two dollar fifty gas. If we can find assets that generate that kind of you know generate a positive return at those prices, then then we'll look at them. You know that's that's it's a pretty simple recipe. So you know that we were we we were attracted to the Anadarko Basin initially because we felt like it's 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 quite a um, it's quite early in the life of the Anadarko Basin in comparison to, say, the Permian and others, where there's a lot of tier one locations in the Anadarko Basin that can deliver those kind of returns. Some of the other basins are getting more mature, but but look, we certainly are, you know are happy to look at other opportunities, whether they're onshore or offshore, as long as they meet that investment hurdle. You mentioned obviously that there's a lot of positives to having projects in the US. Do you see opportunities for project ac- acquisitions closer to home, whether it's in Western Australia or in other parts of Australia? That would be really tough, I think, for us because one of the super attractive things about operating, particularly in the Midwest in the US, is just the the um, the regulatory environment. You know, I mean, the, the industry, you know, um, really uh, benefits from having that engagement with the community in which it operates in, and 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 having a clear pathway to go from um, you know exploration through to production. Uh, you know, an example of that, our, our most recent well, our Wolfpack well, which came online, you know, early earlier this year. You know, that it, it took us ninety days to go from the from from the day we first turned the drill bit on that well to to getting our first uh, our first uh, oil and gas to sales and you know trying to emulate that in Australia I think would just be you know would just be too tough okay so with Brookside's focus on growing its production can you tell us a bit about how you're working to monetize the 11.9 million barrels of oil equivalent proved and probable reserves that's our biggest challenge at the moment in communicating with our shareholders is that is this you know concept of optionality in our in our forward path, um, and you know we spelled out to people this concept of you know we can you know the path to to, to monetizing these assets is really a three there's really three parts to that, and then what, one is obviously sole funding the development, the other one is bringing in a partner, and then the third is to is 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 to you know sell down uh, all or part of the asset, and all of those all of those three things um, or a combination thereof. 
uh, ha- have uh, different return profiles for shareholders. And so at different times in the cycle, it may make sense for us to sell down. Um, in, in other times, it may make sense to bring a partner in who brings some capital. And at other times, it may, may make sense to to uh, to go, go, go it alone and solve funds. So we're constantly um, weighing up all of those alternatives uh, and looking at at, uh, at what's going to give the best return for our shareholders. And I think you know what we've seen in the last you know probably three to four months is we've started to see the cost of of, of drilling and completing these wells starting to normalise in, in in the US. Late last year and into the beginning of this year, we had some pretty pretty serious oil field inflation, but we're starting to see that really moderate. And so. Um, the time's right for us to now, you know, embark on on this next step of uh, of monetizing these assets. So really, now it comes down to: do we do that with a partner, or do or do we do that on our own? And what which one of those choices uh, um, is going to deliver the best results for shareholders? And I think, uh, you know, we're getting very close to to being able to make a decision on that and 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 really give shareholders, uh, you know, some idea of what twenty twenty four looks like and what the in, and and beyond. And so I think, you know, that's. That's going to be the focus between between now and the end of the year is is really kind of uh, betting all of that down and then executing that plan. Okay, you, you've also identified a potential second production basin in the Ardmore Basin. Can you provide some more colour around what you were seeing there and, and the progress Brookside is making? That's a you know a much smaller you know in terms of the the reserve potential and the you know and and the, the scale of that opportunity, it's much smaller than than our Swish area. It's a similar story, you know. It's it's our team prospecting. Looking for uh, for areas that have been overlooked um, over the years, and then uh, and then sort of you know you know taking our our unique sort of expertise and seeing with if we can't leverage ourselves into a into a new opportunity, um, you know we've we've drilled our first well out there. It's 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 looking really good. Um, we've got a second location uh, identified, uh, and um, and there is scope for us to to pick up additional additional acreage in that Bradbury area. So. So it's definitely um, it's definitely one of the things that we're pursuing, but it would it's it, it, it's taking a second fiddle, uh, I guess, at the moment to um, you know where the action is, which is you know in monetizing in monetizing this uh, twelve million odd barrels of oil equivalent in uh, in the Swiss area. There's a lot going on globally, triggering a significant rise in oil prices. Can you provide a bit more insight into what is happening with supply and demand right now? Yeah, so you know, it's an interesting picture. You know, you've got demand looking strong despite some pretty serious uh, economic headwinds. You know, around the globe, demand is is looking resilient and strong. And worryingly, inventories are at at very low levels. So you know, we think. You know the scene is set for for a bit of a squeeze there, and we think prices are going to go higher. And at the moment, I, I suspect that the movements in the price of oil are, are probably driven more by financial speculation rather than good old honest supply and demand metrics. So when, once we see that sort of start to unwind, I think you know twenty twenty four is going to be a strong a strong year for for oil. And you know hopefully you know what we're what you know we've got the timing perfect that we've we've seen you know costs come down. Uh, and you know we're rolling out a, a, a significant drilling program into a into a, an, a, 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 a period of higher prices and and lower costs. So um, fingers crossed, we've got the timing right. So with the global push towards renewable energy sources, what is your view on the future of oil production and its role in the evolving energy landscape? We're, we're not a kind of a um, an us or them sort of business. You know, we don't really take a view on what the future looks like in terms of the energy mix. I, I guess what I would say is that. You know the global population uh, is growing. Uh, our demand for reliable 
cheap energy increase, uh, you know, uh, continue, continue to increase. And for us, we just feel like the oil and gas business is going to have a role to play in when whatever their energy mix looks like for the foreseeable future. Um, oil and gas is going to have a role to play, and it's really about about for us. It's really about doing that in the most efficient, environmentally responsible way that we can, uh, and and um, you know try, trying to be part of the solution rather than uh, part of the problem. Yeah, that's great. We'll leave it there today, David. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Angela.